Welcome, and thank you for joining the Hickory Grove Sunday Sermon Podcast. I'm Michael McEwen, and I pastor Hickory Grove in Trenton, Tennessee. And for the past four weeks, we've been journeying through Ecclesiastes. Scholar Craig Bartholomew refers to this book as a philosophical tale of enigmas, or what we might call a puzzle of life, whereby we feel many tensions within our everyday living. In this particular Sunday Sermon podcast, I bring out two tensions as it relates to Ecclesiastes 3-4, which reads, A time to weep and a time to laugh. Now, I spend a majority of my time with the first part, a time to weep, but the first tension of our everyday, ordinary lives, I I see is being invaded by the extraordinariness of God's reign. This is what I call the echo of Scripture. This is when the drama of Scripture sweeps us up in our mundane living into Christ's redemptive story. The second tension that I notice deals with the weeping and the wounds in our world while we search to see and hear God in the midst of such a world. That's very difficult to do. So I hope you enjoy as we continue to understand the relationships between our union with Christ and the call to live winsomely and wisely for and in the world. Hope you enjoy. I would ask that you would turn to Ecclesiastes 3. We'll begin with the reading, Christ's word. If you're there, if you would please stand for the reading this morning. We'll begin in verse 1. We'll go to verse 4 this morning. Hear the word of Christ. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh. Let us pray. Christ, we come before you this morning and may you dull the worries we've brought with us today. And may you speak with such clarity in our hearts that we would be assured that it is you whispering through the preaching of your word. In this very moment, calm our anxieties. May you satisfy our desires. And may we find joy in life in you as you are revealing us, yourself, this morning. We offer this prayer in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to be focusing on the first part of Ecclesiastes 3-4, A Time to Weep. The title of this morning's message is Echoes of Scripture, Weeping and Wounds in Our World. First, let me clarify for a minute what I mean by echoes. One of the first moments I can recall first noticing an echo was a little bit over 20 years ago when we lived at Park Circle, which Lee may remember, Mom, 
coming down this huge hill. They had this hill on both sides. They paralleled each other. And we would ride our bikes down this hill. And there was a couple of friends and I, and we yelled as we were going down the hill. And within seconds later, we heard the voice, the voices coming back. An echo is simply put a voice or sound heard again. It's that simple. It's a voice or sound heard again. We've been reading and preaching through Ecclesiastes together, and I've been met with so many circumstances just in the matter of three to four weeks where I've heard the verses of Ecclesiastes again, where it was just a day or days later. Maybe you've experienced this before. A verse you had been memorizing or just read again as you encounter a family member or a friend or a total stranger. And we may think, well, that's just mere coincidence. But was it? Was it mere coincidence? My conviction is that God gives us so many opportunities in our daily life to hear the echoes of Scripture again so that we might listen to Him and that we might live out His Scriptures. But oftentimes we miss these opportunities because we aren't tuning our ears and our hearts to hear His voice. So what's the purpose of today? To illustrate very simply that we can hear the echoes of Scripture again in the midst of our world's weeping and its wounds. I'm truly convinced that we don't just read Scripture on Sunday and then we go out from here and we don't hear it again. It is odd. And so many times I've had encounters with people where I will read a verse or several verses and then I'll go into the world, whatever it is, at the school or a stranger at the food, local food riot, and I hear that verse again as I'm speaking to them. And it's calling me to some sort of action to live out that verse. And so that's why I call it the echoes of Scripture. They echo there. They meet us in the midst, as we talked about this morning in our Sunday school class, meet us in the mundane, in the very ordinary parts of our life. And I want us to be a church who hears God's voice again and again and again. That little echo of Him in our homes, in our jobs, in our daily lives, and then obediently act out His voice. Some of you probably knew, if you're Facebook friends with me, I asked a very simple Facebook poll this week. It was simply this, why do you weep? Why do you weep? What I love about these polls is that it's just a simple way to interview people. So simple. You throw out a question like that, and then you begin hearing people's hearts. Some of them might just be talking about whatever that they've noticed in their life. Some people begin to actually talk about their own lives and when those questions are prompted to them. And so what I wanted to do is I wanted to hear them and be able to understand how we can hear the echoes of Scripture in the background of their own lives. So during the rest of the time here this morning, I'm going to look at 
many of those topics that I saw in that Facebook question, I wish I could hit all of them, but there were, there were several, several comments made, probably 30, 40 plus. But there were several topics that kept coming up again and again. And I want to look at this, them this morning, and I want us to see how Scripture echoes in the midst of people's wounds and in their weeping. The first that I saw several times was the topic of infertility. When we hear the stories of friends and families dealing with infertility and hopelessness, I hear the echoing cries of Sarah and Rebecca. Both of these Israelite women knew very well the promises of God given to Abraham that through ordinary families like them, the nation of Israel and the nation, nations of the world would be blessed. So Sarah and Rebecca, they carry this double burden, this psychological burden, this burden in their minds, but also a physical burden as well. They knew that God had chosen Israel for special purposes in the world. And these women burned to see these purposes lived out through them. But because of their infertility, they thought that this situation would be absolutely impossible. They felt inadequate in many ways. Yet if we keep reading the story of Sarah and Rebecca, we discover that behind the scenes, God, according to his will, his perfect will, opened up the wombs of these women at the right time. Another topic that I saw was betrayal. When I hear these stories of betrayal, whether it's marriage betrayal, family betrayal, friendship betrayal, I hear the echoes of Isaac and Jacob and Esau. If you remember, Jacob and Esau were the sons of Isaac. And in Jewish culture, a family's inheritance primarily fell to the oldest son. He was the firstborn. That's where the inheritance would primarily go. Esau was the hunter and gatherer of the family, whereas Jacob was one who stayed close to the home and he cooked. And evidently, Jacob was a very great chef because he had prepared a dish for his nearly blind father while Esau was out hunting. And he dressed up as his brother, finished the meal, greeted his father with the dish. The father who enjoyed the meal reaches and feels his son Jacob, but he thinks it's Esau. So he decides to bless him. What we need to understand about blessing in Jewish culture is simply this. When you bless your child, you are essentially establishing his or her future through that blessing and that you are acting as a voice of God for this individual for their entire future. So here's the blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob thinking it is Esau. See the smell of my son. Esau must have had a certain rank to him. It is as the smell of the field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and plenty of grain and wine. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. You cannot 
in Jewish culture reverse a blessing or curse. It has been established. The blessing has been blessed. The curse has been cursed. Yet we discover even in this story that there is blessing to be found even in the midst of betrayal. Blessing to be found even in the midst of this betrayal. Because if we continue reading beyond Genesis 27 where this story first happens, we find out eventually that this betrayal played right into the salvation story that God was telling. It played right into it. So when we think about this, we think, oh no, he's blessing the wrong son. Nope, he's not. We see it as mere coincidence, but it's not. Sometime this week, I would ask you to read the first chapter of Matthew's gospel. When he opens up the genealogy of Jesus, what you'll notice in this family tree, it's full of liars, prostitutes, killers, and betrayers. And Jacob is at the top of the genealogy tree. Yet somehow God found it fitting to bless the world with salvation despite the betrayal of Jacob. Another topic that kept coming up that made people weep and wound them is abortion and child abuse. I saw it many times. When I hear the stories of abortion and the abuse of innocent children, I hear the echoes of the story of Moses. If you turn to the opening chapters of Exodus, you'll quickly realize that one of the promises given to Abraham is actually coming true. Taking Abraham out of his tent and into the night, God told Abraham that very night that one day his children would be outnumbering the stars of the sky. And if you move back forward, Beyond that blessing of Genesis 15 and 17 back to Exodus 1, you notice that here are all of these people settled in Egypt. The Israelites were multiplying so fast that the people didn't know what to do. You're sending maidservants as fast as you can to these women, these Jewish women who are having babies left and right. And they didn't know what to do. Pharaoh's solution Population control, simply put. He wanted all the males killed as soon as they are born, some of which were cast into the Nile, not far from Egypt, which leads to the story of Moses, who was born and after about three months old, his mother could hide him no longer. She put him in the basket, set him into the Nile, and was hoping some sort of compassionate person would take him and raise him. As a not-so-coincidental turn of events happened, none other than the daughter of Pharaoh himself discovers this basket. Eventually, Pharaoh's daughter adopts him and raises him herself. Well, what's the point I'm making? Pharaoh teaches us two lessons. First, he cannot stop or control the active mission of God's redemptive plan. We cannot stop it. Nobody in here, nobody in the world has the power to stop God in his mission of redeeming and restoring people back to himself. Which means, secondly, that like he extended to Pharaoh through the ten plagues, he is gracious. He is merciful and long-suffering. He desires to offer rest 
to those who attempt to control others, whether that's through abuse and violence. That grace is extended. Another topic that kept coming up was the loss of family and friends. That was probably the number one reason why people weep. And when I hear these stories of those who have lost mothers, daughters, fathers, uncles, aunts, sons, brothers, and best friends, I hear the echoes of the story of Jonathan and David. The scriptures speak poetically of Jonathan's and David's friendship. Jonathan's who was the son of King Saul at this time, who was the first king of Israel. And King Saul had recently continued to abandon the voice of God time and time and time again. He got caught up in a pursuit to kill David. It was this almost evil spirit who had taken over Saul that he could not stop until David was killed. And despite how Jonathan was expected to honor his father as a father, but also honor his father as the king of Israel, he had a deeper and more trusting relationship with David. First Samuel records how Jonathan loved David as he loved his own soul. They were stitched together in covenantal love and friendship. And at the end of 1 Samuel, we read of Saul and Jonathan going into battle against the Philistines at a place called Mount Geboa. They, as well as the entire army, are completely killed, completely wiped away. A few days later, a messenger comes to David about the news of Saul and Jonathan. And hear David's response. David took off all his clothes and he tore them. And so did all the men who were with them. And they wept until the evening. The loss of family and close friends should lead us into weeping. It's the right response. And as you all well know, the moment that we hear of their passing, it wounds us, doesn't it? We're devastated at the news, just like David was devastated finding out about Jonathan, his best friend, his trusted comrade. And the appropriate response is none other than weeping. Another topic that came up was human suffering. When I hear the stories of human suffering, whether it's physical, mental, spiritual, I hear the echoes of Job. Here was a righteous man who had lost nearly everything he had possessed. Many family members, his home, his livestock, his livelihood, pretty much everything. Then, to make matters worse, he is stricken with a despicable and disgusting skin disease. And for nearly 40 chapters of the book of Job, we follow him and his friends discussing how to, quote, get right with God. And we don't find out until the closing chapters of Job that his suffering was meant to actually bring glory to God. The book of Job, we need to remember, is a part of the wisdom literature beside the book that we're in in Ecclesiastes as well as Proverbs. And oftentimes these wisdom books, like Job, 
intentionally push back. We need to hear this, church. Push back on certain misleading teachings, such as only those who sin will suffer. Did you hear that? That misunderstood teaching that we sometimes carry that, oh, you're suffering. Oh, you must have sinned. Job, Ecclesiastes, Proverbs, and even Jesus, we'll get to in a minute, pushes back against this. Job is one of those books that pushes back against this type of teaching. And sometimes, and here's the point, the righteous suffer, don't we? The righteous suffer, physically, mentally, spiritually. In other words, sinners and saints alike we all live in a fallen and broken world. Both sinners and saints, as Jesus teaches us, will receive the gift of rain. Because he says, for the rain falls on the just and the unjust. And as he also corrects his disciples in John 9, who believe that this blind man that they're talking about has somehow become blind because of his mother's or father's sin. To which Jesus replies, it was not this man who sinned or his parents. Hear this, church. But that the works of God might be displayed in him. Just like Job. Yes, our weeping over all kinds of human suffering is just and right. Simultaneously, for the saints and the righteous, we must remember that our suffering is also meant to bring worship to the God who is king over all of those events. Another topic that kept coming up was suicide and thoughts of death. When I hear the stories of many, especially teenagers, struggling with suicide and thoughts about death, I hear the echoes of Jesus on his cross, mumbling, it is finished. It is finished. As Luke records in his gospel, two criminals hang beside Jesus on both sides. Slowly dying by suffocation, a conversation occurs between them. Even in his last moments, one of the criminals selfishly pleased with Jesus, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. To which the other criminal rightly replies, Do, not, do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence and condemnation... And it is we who indeed justly receive the punishment that we deserve. This is the reward of our deeds. But this man, pointing to Jesus, has done nothing wrong. If you know someone struggling with suicidal thoughts or thoughts about death, I have these words. Tell them that Jesus understands. At the same time, remind them that Jesus bore in his death, in his body, the death that was meant to defeat death ultimately. Even the death that they continually bring to their minds, Jesus bore that death. So let them not take death into their own hands, but let them cast their thoughts of death on the one who has experienced that death and defeated it. And as you've noticed this morning, we never journeyed to the second part of verse 4. A time to laugh. 
That's for next week. But if I can, for a minute, give you a preview. Ultimately, God has the last laugh. He has the last laugh, church. When someone has the last laugh, they are the ones who are vindicated. Or in the story of Scripture, God offers the true vindication, the true justification. And let me be clear about justification. In Scripture, it is when God acts and vindicates something to be good, right, and just. So if we could glance back at each of these stories that I've just brought up, let us see how God has the last laugh. For Sarah, Rebecca, and stories of infertility, God showed himself in the benefit of the, his redemptive plan. For Isaac, Jacob, and Esau and stories of betrayal, God shows himself to be just even in the midst of that betrayal. For Moses and stories of abortion and abuse, God displays long-suffering and patience to Pharaoh and those who murder and abuse innocent children. Yet at the same time, his plan will not be detoured. For Jonathan David and stories of loss, God exhibits the joys and splendors of friendships. For Job and stories of suffering God who seems ever so distant from us, well, we discover that he is intimately near to our pain. He's intimately near to our doubts and intimately near to our emptiness. For the crucified criminals and stories of those who struggle with suicidal tendencies, God whispers this to us, I understand I am here and I have died the death that you think of. Now come to me, you who need rest, and I will lift your burdens because I have the last laugh over death. Before we close in prayer, what I want to extend to you this morning is this invitation. Can you hear the echoes of Scripture in the midst of your world's weeping and its wounds? Can you hear it? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the gift of your word. Because as we're reminded throughout your word that it is living and active. It gives light to our path. It is the truth that we can live out in every moment of our day. It's the extraordinary that meets the ordinariness of our life. And so, Lord, as we continue to plumb the riches of your scriptures, especially in Ecclesiastes, may you continue to teach us of what it means to walk wisely before you. May we see this week the world's weeping, and may we weep with them. And may we see this week the world's wounds, and may we try in some sort of way, provide healing. Open our eyes, open our ears so that we can see and hear the echoes of Scripture in our daily lives. We offer these things in the name of Christ. Amen.